Welcome to Brands in Action, the podcast that asks the questions every brand should be asking. Today, we welcome Mike Endersky, the founder of Hear Me Raw. After spending the last 30 years in the beauty and wellness business, Mike founded this new indie skincare brand, Hear Me Raw, a company leading the industry with responsible beauty and products that are truly powerful, natural, sustainable, and simple. Welcome to the show, Mike. It is so great to be on this, David. Thank you. It's great to be back in touch with you. It's great to hang with you again. I really appreciate it. Oh, man, it's great to talk to you. You've worked at some of the biggest, best brands in the world in personal care and fragrance and cosmetics. And you know, you and I met when we were at Burt's Bees, but you most recently worked at the spa brand Bliss, which you sold for a bazillion dollars. You worked at L'Oreal, you worked at Maybelline, Garnier, Calvin Klein, Vera Wang. It's an incredible resume. And talk a little bit about how this experience has brought you to want to create such an amazing new idea in this category. Well, first of all, you know, it's weird. I never... I didn't intend when I came out of school to go into the beauty business. You know, I never did that. I thought I'd be into like sports marketing or entertainment marketing, right. but I wound up in this. I wound up enjoying it and loving it. And because you realize it, it's about making people's skin better, making them feel better. And then as you go on, you start realizing there's, there's more to it. And when I was at Burt's Bees, I realized it's really about making a difference in the world and making a difference in the yeah. way people think about themselves and, and, and the way we, we, we treat each other. And, and it's about social good. It's about so much more than just skincare. That's part of the reason why I'm, I'm doing this. So the first part is why start your own company. And, you know, I just feel that at a certain time, a certain point in your life, you have to do your own thing. And if you have the, the resources to do so, which fortunately I do, you have to try to do your own thing because you have your own unique set of values. Things are important to you, dreams and aspirations, you know, things that you're great at, people you want to work with. And if you can create that, do it yourself, you got to do it. You know, and I felt I had to do yeah. it. If I were to, you know, find out I'm dying tomorrow, I could say I am doing exactly what I want to do. I'm so happy yeah. to be doing this as opposed to, you know, well, I was a CEO of a, toilet seat company. I was making a lot of money. You know, I mean, is yeah. that the way you want to go? No. So, yeah. so you got to do your own thing. So that's why I, I, four years ago, I made this decision. I, I couldn't be happier. That's pretty amazing. One of the things I remember about you and at Burt's Bees and the, the, the management team there and, and all of this sort of infrastructure was, and I used to tell people this all the time, you would be in the conference room having the exact kind of conversations you thought you were having. Like Burt's Bees was what it said it was. And, you know, I, I can remember times where somebody would propose something that would like, well, we'll get a little bit more margin out of this if we do X. And, and somebody would go, no, that's not what we do. That's not how we do things. We don't do it that way. No. What, I mean, part of the foundation of the company was instead of profit, it was people, planet and profit. And yeah. every yeah. company should have that as, as a mandate that people, planet and profit is the direction you take. And by the way, people, planet and profit is better than profit alone. It is. You know, and and yeah. you don't have to compromise one for the other. You can actually have a win across the board. I don't think that's a, a great to have anymore. That's a must have. So tell me about the, the Hear Me Raw story. Like, where did this idea come from? It started at Burt's Bees. But, but what, what got me kind of off my ass to do this was, you know, I've been in this business, as you said, for like 30 years. I look fantastic, by the way. Thank God this isn't, this is just <laughs> audio and not video. Um, so you can't call bullshit on me. But, um, after 30 years, I just, I just couldn't get over the fact 
that brands are still selling products with ingredients which shouldn't go on your skin, in packaging which isn't sustainable, making claims they can't keep for prices are too high on products you don't need. I mean, this is 2021. And the idea that brands in beauty in any category are making products where the packaging isn't sustainable is criminal yeah. to me. It's not like the technology is not there. And what's right. gotten so weird is in my industry, there's this thing called clean beauty. It's this new movement, you know, last five years or so. Right. And clean beauty pretty much means there's no bad stuff in it. Now, clean beauty doesn't mean it's natural. It doesn't mean it's sustainable. It doesn't mean it's vegan. It doesn't mean it's cruelty free. It just means there's no bad stuff in it. It doesn't even mean it right. works. In fact, no parabens. Yeah, no, get to get, no yeah. parabens. And it's a problem. Now, I think the brands are trying to do this, are doing things, most of them admirably, which I love. The retailers who are celebrating them, they're doing it admirably, which I love. But the problem is, is it's wrong for two reasons. One is you can't have clean beauty in bad packaging, right? Right. You can't take the best from nature if you're poisoning it at the same time. But the, the issue is bigger than that. A long time ago, everything on this planet that we ate or put on our skin, anything gets ingested into our bodies, just came from nature. And then science came. And then all of a sudden, we're trying to make things as cheaply as possible. So natural went to the, by the wayside, and everything became um, synthetic, and everything became crappy packaging, which is poisoning the planet. You know, a third of landfills is made up of packaging materials. That's incredible. Yeah. So now you've got this movement called Clean Beauty. And they're saying, you know, this group, see, they're good. They don't have the bad stuff in it. And they're natural. And some of them are sustainable. And, and, and they're cruelty free. But, you know, why is that the exception? And the default is all the crap. Right. I mean, it's an indictment on the entire industry that we yeah. have to have a special section for people who aren't poisoning the planet and aren't poisoning your skin. And I think that's fucked up. And I think yeah. that's got to change. The default yeah. should be the natural stuff. The default should be the, the sustainable stuff. And everyone else should be marked as with parabens, with petrochemicals, you know? Right. There should almost be a warning on everything else. There should be a warning. But the way they would do it is they would go, you know, now with GMOs, now with petrochemicals, now with right. parabens, now with endocrine disruptors and not cruelty free or, hey, we're cruel and we use animal parts and child labor and we don't pay corporate taxes. You know, they would have it emblazoned on their packaging like it's a good thing. But, you know, in all seriousness, the industry has to turn back where the default is the natural stuff that's great for your skin and packaging which is sustainable and better for the environment. And everything else needs to be on the outside. And that's what I want to try to do. I want to work with other like-minded companies and other like-minded retailers to flip everything on its head and get back to the way skincare should be. Powerful, natural, sustainable, and simple. And that's what Jimmy Raw is all about. That's incredible. It's interesting, like I, I noticed on your your materials, I've been following Hear Me Raw for a while, and you talk about this notion of responsible beauty. Talk a little bit about, about what responsible beauty means and is. I know what you just said sums that up, but I, I think where, where I want to orient the question is, are you trying to create a new category with this? No, I want to create a way of doing business that is more than about doing business. Right. On our homepage, we, you know, we tell everyone we're activists on your skin 
and in the world. We always have to create positive change. And so on your skin, we do all the things I mentioned, you know, powerful, natural, sustainable, multi-purpose products, which are incredible, incredible to use. Yeah. And I'll put my product up against any of the best prestige products. And I guarantee you my stuff is better. That yeah. aside, you also have to be activists in the world and you have to make change there. And that's why we partner with Global Citizen. Their values about equal rights, environmental rights are so aligned with us that I partnered with them before we launched. And we've been partners ever since. Yeah. We partnered with NAACP empowerment programs. You know, as a kid from the Bronx, grew up most of his life and still in New York, I thought I knew everything. I had to feel. And when the Black Lives <laughs> Matter movement, I realized there's so much more I need to do and there's so much more I need to learn. And I thought, hey, we're all brothers and sisters. And I realized there was so much more I needed to do. So we parted with the NAACP empowerment programs. Uh, we work with 1% for the planet. When the... Uh, Coronavirus happened last year. We donated 15,000 masks to frontline workers around the country in mostly lower socioeconomic areas. Yeah. So that has to be part of business. And yeah. it's not like the big companies who, hey, we have to find some type of uh, charity to work with. What's right. what charities trending these days? Oh, I know. You know, right. <laughs> you, know, you have to do what's true to your brand and true to your values. And I'm fortunate enough that. My company's values are my values, and we choose partners who have the same values. Well, it's the biggest advantage of being a founder, honestly, is setting the values, setting the brand compass. You know, we, a brand is, is a promise of behavior based on a belief system. That's what a brand is. Exactly. And so some of that, of course, is communications of those behaviors, but the, it's everything else. And, and I think what I get frustrated at when I see a lot of, of companies, in particular doing purpose work, is... It's marketing shtick versus yeah. actually going back to the core reasons you exist and finding ways to exist in the world. And I always say, like, the, the word brand should be a verb, not a noun. <laughs> you, you know, it's about doing, right? It's about doing, doing and being based on, on your ethos. And it is such an advantage when you are starting at the, the beginning of that. And it sounds to me like you're, you're saying, like, let's create a movement as opposed to a category. Exactly. And every company needs to do that and, and do it responsibly. You, you do it completely aligned with your values and you talk about it responsibly. You know, you don't talk about it. You see a lot of brands taking heat right now during, you know, Pride Month. You know, yeah. hey, we're gay too this yeah. month. Yeah, this and month. Yeah. It just comes across <laughs> so bad. Yeah. On the flip side, I can say also, it's very hard when, when companies do try to do the right thing and are seen as being at fault when it's not said exactly the right way. Correct. And uh, right. Th that, that's the flip side of it. I do find that a lot of companies really trying to do the right thing might not have the wording correctly and they get slammed, especially on social. And uh, then that takes on a life of its own. But as long as you're trying to do the right thing, whether it's in clean beauty, trying to get to a good place with ingredients and packaging in terms of your social causes, you're trying to do the right thing, that's what really counts. Yeah. You don't have to get 100 on the test, but study hard, work hard, and get high scores. That's what counts. Yeah, and I think it's about showing up authentically, and, and that word is becoming bankrupt. But, uh, you <laughs> know, it's about showing up uh, real and acknowledging where you don't know what you don't know and those sorts of things. Exactly. Speaking of behavior, so you've had to now 
source these products and you've had to, um, you know, speaking of science, I'm sure there's a lot of science going into making this not synthetic. Talk about how you're, you're sourcing and, and how you're bringing these formulas to life. It's interesting. When I first started, you know, you have a vision and the goal is to get people who either truly understand your vision or can follow your vision, right? And that's sometimes hard. So when I first had the idea, I worked with three formulators who are all wonderfully talented people, but they didn't get it or get me. And then I met one whose whole background was steeped into Eastern medicine and Eastern ingredients and completely got it. So you'll see ingredients in Hemira from turmeric and neem leaf powder and spirulina. I mean, you have like the coconut waters, the watermelon oils, but we have Mexican poppy stem cells and just matcha green tea. There's such powerful, potent ingredients. She understood that and she helped develop it. And she's so responsible for the success of our brand. And people have to realize that the potency of a natural ingredient, natural ingredients are chemicals too, right? Right. Synthetics are are chemicals and natural chemicals. And most synthetic ingredients were based on natural ingredients, but just made in a lab, but sometimes with risk. You can get lactic acid multiple ways. You can get in a from Dow Chemical, I guess, or you can get it, you know, from milk or you can get it from wheat. You know, there's a lot of ways to get it. Just get it naturally because our belief is that nothing beats the power of an electrical energy sourced ingredient, which is from nature, right? It's better than a dead chemical. Um, so, So that was the foundation of it. But also we wanted to make sure it was raw and, um, we wanted to make sure it didn't look homemade, you know, but it didn't look like Lancome either. So right. it right, you could feel it and you could smell it. You want to stick your hands in it. And we foil seal everything to keep the freshness. So it, it'll last on shelf because it's foil sealed for about three years. But once you remove the seal, it's only good for about six months, which is what right. it should be. Right. It's almost like food. Except not six months, obviously, but it's like food. Like it'll last for a while until you open it and then you're not eating chemicals. So it goes There's back. a little uh, symbol on the back of packages in beauty. And it's a little jar with a lid off of it with a number on it. And it'll say 36M, which means that the product will last 36 months after opening. Right. Mine is 6M, which is six months after opening. Because yeah, when you have a natural product, it shouldn't last more than six months. If you bought a piece of salmon and the salmon was good for 36 months after you've unwrapped it, I'd question what the hell they shot that salmon with, you know? <laughs> right. What did they inject it with to make it last right. that long? And I'm putting that in my body. What's it going to do to my body? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we keep it fresh, use it. And it, by the way, if you don't use your face care product up in six months, yeah, probably ain't that great. Yeah, you probably didn't like it. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. I read an article a, a few years ago about how bodies aren't decomposing. Human, the human body doesn't decompose as quickly as it used to now. And the reason is that we're pumping ourselves with preservatives inside and out, like both on our skin and also, you know, in the foods that we're eating. And um, it's a fascinating thing. So how are you preserving this to even last that long? Is it because of this foil seal? It's airtight or are you actually using natural preservatives? How, how does that work? Well, but you need to have some type of preservative in there. You need to have something that, you know, when you have a product with water in it, something to help keep things from, from changing over time just to preserve the, the 
quality of it. And we've been actually working on improving our preservative system. You're always trying to improve your products. And the preserve system we're switching to is a really superior, all-natural preservative system, which is great. And you know, one of the things, you know, was at Burt's Bees, one of my colleagues, Jim Geike, used to have a statement, which used to kind of joke about saying, it's a journey. And right. the truth is, it is a journey. Right. As technology changes, if I can improve the sustainability of my packaging, I'll do it. If I can improve the power, efficacy, or anything of the product, you do that. It's, it is a journey, but you have to be on the journey. You have right. to be going for it. Right. It's pretty amazing. How, how much engineering did you have to go through with the packaging? I'd love for you to talk about how this sustainable packaging works, because I've never seen anything like it. When you see it, you go, oh, that should have always existed. Talk a little bit about how you do it. It's super cool. It's kind of simple. Is We have this really durable glass jar and lid. I mean, it's just a beautiful luxe package. And inside is a recyclable refill pod. And when you finish, you take the pod out, you wipe it out. It's fully recyclable. And you get a new pod. So why is that a good thing? Well, first of all, at the end of the day, we have our, our vanities. We, you know, we like to have that great Lux package. Sure. And I want to show you that you can have a Lux package that's sustainable. You don't have to have a package made out of cardboard, you know, that looks crappy and starts yeah. you know, degrading in your bathroom. So why is this better? Well, the refill pod, even though it holds the same amount, two and a half ounces, it's 66% lighter and 66% smaller. So what does that mean in the scheme of things? It means that, let's say the industry makes 120 billion packaging pieces a year, which it does, right? Yeah. That's 120 billion lids I don't have to make, 120 billion jars I don't have to make, 120 billion large cartons, shippers, and everything else I don't have to make. I have to make only those once and everything else is a smaller refill. So you're not using energy and resources in creating jars or lids. And the stuff you're making is smaller. So you save on shipping costs, warehouse costs, your carbon footprint plummets. We told one of the big retailers that if they switch their face care packaging to our face care packaging, they would save 36 million pieces of packaging material, save 66% of their warehouse space, save 66% of their freight costs from their facilities to the retailers, and save 80% in their shipments to consumers. So everybody wins. Oh, yeah. And by the way, our, our refill pot is $10 cheaper. Yeah. So the person buying our product saves $10 and is saving the environment. The retailer saves warehouse space, uh, saves freight costs, right? And we're saving all this packaging material, which doesn't have to go into landfills and everything else. Right. They don't call it an ecosystem for nothing. Exactly. You know, and, yeah, and you know, the landfills ain't getting smaller. <laughs> I think one of the dirty little secrets in the, in the beauty business is that if any product actually worked the way they said it would work, you would never need to replace or improve it. And <laughs> exactly. yet there's a constant stream of new products in the field from the exact same companies making new promises, which doesn't that fact by its very nature disprove the industry's claims. I'll tell you why I'm asking this. I've noticed that you aren't making miracle claims and, and the industry makes miracle claims constantly, right? So yeah. it's miracle in a, in a jar. I've noticed, and again, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I've noticed what you're doing is making promises about the product, about the sustainability, about the way it's made, about the distribution, all of those things, all the things you even just said, 
rather than saying it's going to be a new you in six weeks. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? There's a couple of parts to that. You know, the first is we only have four products. Part of this, the industry is this machine of constantly doing new and constantly making new and just for the sake of new. And it's ridiculous. You know, you have this proliferation of SKUs that people don't even know how to shop for it anymore. We have four products that are multi-purpose. It's like a, a cleanser or a mask, a scrub or a mask. We just want to be powerhouses and have fewer things do more, have more right. benefits. And you know, we let the products speak for themselves. I mean, we make general kinds. We obviously tell people what these things do. And then people say, oh my God, my lines are going away. And I've never felt like this. My skin's radiant. I've stopped using all my other products. I just use the brightener and I follow up with the hydrator and that's it. So we try to get that passion out there and let people pick up on that passion uh, of real, true testimonial people saying, I just love this stuff, rather than us making claims that aren't right and, and misleading, yeah. you know, anti-aging, yeah. we're going to de-age you. Right. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that doesn't happen. Well, and, and in fact, what people don't know, and, and a lot of beauty products harm your skin to provoke a reaction in order to make you look, say, younger. So for instance, you would put something on a wrinkle, which would irritate it, cause it to swell, and then the wrinkle's gone. And what that does over time is actually harms your skin because you're, you know, it's, it's sort of micro harm, but you're, you're harming your skin in order to provoke a reaction. Taking it to like the furthest level, it's like, you know, injecting yourself with, you know, Botox and fillers and right, you know, collagen right. and, and all of a sudden you don't look like you. Isn't it amazing now to see all these people that don't look like they looked two years ago? It's sad. It's sad because, you know, it, it's, it's, we see faults in ourselves physically that no one else sees. Yeah. I've got a wrinkle here. Oh my God. I got, you know, you can have someone like the world's like Giselle Bunchen could say, oh my God, I've got wrinkles here. I got this, I got this. We're our own worst critics. Yeah. And the beauty industry feeds into that. Yeah. When you take advantage of that, intimate vulnerability. It's really bad. And there's a way to do things positive and life affirming without face shaming, body shaming or anything else. And the industry likes to feed yeah. on that insecurity that we all see these horrible things about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, on the other hand, look fantastic. So I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> well, you're using your products. True. I have an incredibly large <laughs> nose and crazy hair. But aside from that, I think I'm doing fine. That's funny. Well, let's talk a little bit about your tone of voice. I, I'm going to use the term because I saw it on your website, the raw truth. And I, I don't know if that's how you articulate your voice, but you have some really nice writing in there. I, I love, I, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw the word panoply in a, uh, in a, beauty, <laughs> in a beauty description. We have a panoply of ingredients, but talk a little bit about your articulation of your, your tone of voice. The brand told, hear me raw, right? Hear me raw. Yeah. Be like, yep. hear me raw. And you know, it's this fun, smart, witty, unrepentant, activist attitude. And it doesn't mean we're like all angry and in your face. We're not right against the machine. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, it's very empowering. Yeah, we're, we're empowering and fun, unrepentant. And, you know, we look at people like, maybe not the best example, it's kind of like Whoopi Goldberg. You know, she's super smart, really funny, really engaging. But she's unrepentant, you know, like, hey, here's what I believe, mm -hmm. you know, and if you don't like it, that's fine. But I'm not going to change my point of view because it's not popular yeah. because, you know, we all know and we say this at Bird's Bees a lot, like what's right isn't always popular and what's popular isn't always right. 
Right. And you just have to take a stand. And I'd rather take a stand and say, and people say, I love what they're saying. You know, I'd rather people love me or hate me than just kind of, eh. Yeah. One of my principles in, in marketing has always been the bell-shaped curve versus the U-shaped curve. Yeah. So the bell-shaped curve, this normal distribution where you've got this big spike in the middle of good. And on one end, love, a tiny little piece within one tail is love and one tail is hate. Mm -hmm. But the average is good. So if you have a product or a brand that's good, people will like it. Then they'll go to the next good product and the next good product. I'd rather have a U-shaped curve. I don't want to have people like me, love me or hate me. Yeah. If you love me, you'll be with me forever. If you hate me, well, so be it. Right. But interesting, the, the haters become the lovers over time. And some of the best products and some of the best branding has been from brands who really said, you know, love me or hate me, because you build a stronger following that way. So that's kind of our, our voice, not F you by any means, but hey, here's what we stand for. Love us or, you know, or not. That's, that's fine. That's up to you. You know, it's a, a great brand that I use as an example. A lot of this is ACDC, the band. Yeah. They, they, they basically came out. They were this incredibly kind of new thing when they came out. They, were, they weren't punk. They weren't rock. They were, they, were, they were all of it in a blender. And people loved them. And then as kind of the 80s came in and the 90s, like they had a very small following. But people started to go like, those guys are such old hat, you know. Yeah. But they still had this really strong foundation. And now... People are like, wow, those guys stuck to their guns. They never changed. They're so admired for that, for being who they are. That fan base remains all these years later as fervent as ever. Yeah. And you bring on this new generation of people who said, oh, who is this? Yeah. AC what? Yeah. And, and, and they get into it. And Who is this new band from 1974 right. <laughs> to 1972? God, Let me ask you a question. You know, this notion of, of uh, love me, hate me. You're setting this brand up to be a truth teller. And, and I, I get that you're not trying to be provocative from a negative provocative, but you are being positive provocative. And one of the things that I've seen a lot is the truth tellers get sued in these kinds of categories. And sort of what's behind that is brands going, oh, no, <laughs> you know, we can't have this conversation happening. How do you plan to sort of navigate that? And I'm not obviously not saying you're going to get sued. I'm just saying if you want to tell the truth, you're going to attract the attention of some legal departments in the beauty category because they do not want this to change. There's one, yeah. there's one department that doesn't want this to change and it's the legal department, you know? Yeah, they used to call that the uh, marketing prevention department. <laughs> right. When you use the word provocative, I like that. And we are provocative, but we're not provocative for the sake of being provocative. And provocative just means to provoke a response. Right. If I say something and it doesn't provoke a response, then I'm not saying anything effectively. I, I always just say to people like, get to nervous, then decide is it good nervous or bad nervous? If it's yeah. good nervous, you do it. It's bad nervous, you don't do it. This is maybe not the best example, but we had an email go out today and it says refill versus landfill. Yeah, I love that line. Great line, I saw it. That's provocative. It yeah. makes you think, oh, you shit, if either I use a refill or it's going to wind up in a landfill. Okay. And you know, we'll look at the open rates later, but I, believe is going to be a really powerful email. The worst email we've done in the history of our emails on Hear Me Raw had the headline, Pure You. <laughs> and it yeah. sucked. No one opened it up. Yeah. And I realized like, it's the worst headline ever. What does that mean, Pure You? It's like, 
And it, it meant it's like what everybody says. That's what everybody says. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. And you know, the ones that do best are the ones where we like provoke a response, but in an intentional, positive way. What would you, if you were going to give a presentation at a marketing seminar to the, the biggest brands are in the audience, what would you title your seminar? Wow. I thought you were going to ask me if I was a spice, what would my spice name be? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to try to get Kevin Bacon in there too. But. Right, exactly. Um, doing things differently is always the right way to do things. And the big companies, they get successful by finding the formula and sticking with it. Yeah. But true growth, true innovation comes from doing things differently, constantly challenging yourself, constantly challenging convention. Tesla's eating everyone's lunch. Well, I mean, why couldn't any of the big auto manufacturers have done this first? They all could have. They all could have. They chose yeah. not to. They got into complacency. Yep. They got into greed. They got into selfishness. They stopped thinking about the environment, only thought about their pockets. And someone came along and ate their lunch and thank God that they did. Yeah. So you need to make sure that you're the next Tesla and that you're doing all the right things. I mean, in our industry, there's a lot of indie brands who are doing such great, great stuff. And the big guys need to be doing the great stuff. And if the big guys are doing the great stuff, you wouldn't need the indie brands doing it. They're doing it because the big guys aren't doing it. Yeah, it's the whole idea of shared value is, yeah, exactly. is creating something that makes things, that solves a problem for people and then scaling it. Right. And they can scale. They, they could scale it overnight if they wanted to. It would just cost them a little money. Exactly. Like if you look in my case with, the, with our packaging system, right? I created it. I paid for it. I paid for the molds. Now, the last time I looked, Leonard Lauder has more money than I do. Right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. L'Oreal and Unilever have more money than I do. Why can't they make all their packaging sustainable? Why can't they make all refills? Why can I do it and they can't? Well, you have your answer. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you brought up Tesla and Elon Musk is famous for having shared the technology out. Would you ever share this technology out? I, I would share it in a second. Yeah. There's one indie brand who reached out to me. I said, let's do this. I'll make this happen for you. Yeah. Uh, and they were struggling to do their launch and they, they couldn't get their acts together you know, yeah. uh, fast enough. So we couldn't help them out. But yeah, I would share it. Sure. That's amazing. How, how are you funding this, Mike? Funny you should ask. I'm self-funding this. Hmm. Why would you go that route? I need to prove to myself that it works and that the model works before I would take a dime from anybody. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't take money from my father. Now, my father has no money, but had my father <laughs> had money. Yeah. Uh, no, seriously, I, I, I needed to prove to myself that it works to get it working. And I just didn't feel comfortable taking money. Uh, yeah. But it's actually funny. Now we're at the stage where to really grow it, I'm going to start to be looking for outside investment. This is the year to start planning for all that. But you know, at the beginning, I, I, I just, I needed to prove it to myself first. I don't feel comfortable taking money from anybody. And yeah. I'll tell you, just like on a similar note, when we launched, we were going to launch with a really famous actress and you have shared values yeah. Yeah. and amazing, amazing woman. And I loved her and I decided not to launch with her, we had some manufacturing problems at the beginning, as every company has. And I didn't want to risk her reputation hmm. with my manufacturing issues. I didn't want to say, actor so-and-so involved in company where they're having a problem with this thing. It, it wouldn't have been fair to her. Yeah. So it's the same thing. It's just, it's one of my values. You know, I just like, I, I'm not going to have anyone invest until I can prove this thing works. 
then it'll invest. I don't want you to put your name on this until I can yeah. say this is this is going to be great. You know, so that's fascinating. You launch this thing, and you know I, what we all know is the two fastest things you got to do is get market penetration and awareness, right? Yeah. And then the so you launch this, and I thought you launched it really smart, smartly, and and very well. And then the you know we all get quarantined. How how has that affected kind of the whys and what's of uh, getting this thing off the ground? That was terrible. Um, you know, we launched pretty much right before COVID. When I went to grad school, you know, they never taught you don't launch before a major global pandemic. <laughs> that wasn't you know, a, that wasn't a class. It wasn't a class, or if they taught it, I missed that class. I was out that day, but it sucked. It yeah. sucked, and we had a lot of retailers who were going to take us and told us, oh, "I'm sorry, we're not taking you because." Look, our stores are shut. We're not taking on new brands. And all of a sudden I said, all right, got to turn this into a D2C model. Right. So, you know, I don't like using the word pivot because the brand didn't change. Position right. didn't change. Nothing changed. Right. I didn't get right. into the hand sanitizer business. You know, focus on what we do great. Fortunately, our masks are so great for maskne when people are having all those problems wearing masks yeah. that that wanted to become a great thing for us. Yeah. So we were able to benefit by that. People say, oh, my God, you know, my skin was so horrible during COVID because like the mask would cause irritation and cause this and dryness or, or oiliness even because it keeps everything in and your products are miracles and so forth. So, so that was great for us. And now we have all these retailers coming back who want to carry us again. And uh, it's been such a great switch and great, great change. And I have to add to that that personally, running this company, I'm operating in a flow state they've yeah. never operated in before. I, mm. it's, it's, it's ethereal. I, I really feel like everything is just flowing and things are making sense and things are happening. Things are working together in such a positive, beautiful way. I've never felt like this in my life. And that's not an overstatement. That's incredible. It is an amazing thing to be in. <laughs> It's an amazing state to be in. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting more and more, I guess, spiritual as I'm growing up and getting older, I guess. But I just feel like all these connections are happening. I mean, you reaching out to say, Mike, let's do this podcast. This is another yeah. example of that. I mean, just yeah. came out of like the blue and it was just so gratifying to me and helping evolve the story of this brand. Uh, that's awesome. So, Mike, where, where can we find Hear Me Raw? How can people get it? Well, the, right now, the best place to get it is on hearmeraw.com. It's H-E-A-R. M-E-R-A-W, We're also available on Amazon and uh, we're about to bust into a whole bunch of retail coming up in third and fourth quarter. But right now, hearmeraw.com is the best place to get it. Oh, that's great. We'll put a link in the, uh, in the show yeah, notes. Excellent. Let's wave a magic wand and project 10 years in the future. What has happened to the beauty industry as a result of Hear Me Raw? Well, in 10 years, first of all, I'm going to have my own Space Force and I'm going to compete with Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos for yeah. global universal domination. Mike Adursky will be in space, damn it. Yeah, I'm going to go in space with Jeff Bezos' brother, the <laughs> two of us. And, and, and Jeff will go with my, my brother. No, um, I'm hoping that the industry, just like the way states, federal governments are putting emissions restrictions and other restrictions on carbon emission restrictions, we need to have that in place in beauty. Packaging needs to be sustainable. It needs to hold to a certain level of sustainability. In 10 years, you know, I want every brand to have packaging which is sustainable, and we have packaging nose. Just packaging nose. If you know it's going to wind up in a landfill, it can't be used. 
Yeah. I think that products need to be a certain percent natural. Now, that's my personal belief. As creatures from nature, we only recognize, we don't recognize these foreign agents. When they get inside of us, they do, you know, they have deleterious effects. So I, I like to believe that every product is at least you know, 75% natural, 50% natural or something. And I, I think we need to get to smaller, better, and not more and more. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I had this idea for a retail store, which I probably shouldn't say out loud because someone's going to take it run with it. Yeah. But it's called Top 5. And the Top 5 store only has the top five products from any company. That's amazing. So, you know, if you launch 20 products a year, you only add one and you have to take one out. But it just gets to the point that it's getting crazy with all this stuff. And I also would like to believe that and hope that I hate to use the word consumers because we're, we're people, yeah. not consumers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I can't stand that word either. Oh, I yeah. I mean, we weren't put on this earth to consume. You know, we're not, we're, we're not, we're not called producers. Yeah, we're not locusts. Right. We're not locusts. We're, we're parasites, right? We're, we're consumers. We're like Pac-Man. That we start evolving away from consumption as a means for happiness and focus more on consumption as a need for necessity. You yeah. know, this idea yeah. that we're going to get be happier because we're buying more stuff. I'd like to believe that we can somehow get away from that concept. And you're seeing it a little bit. You're seeing spending going more towards experiences yeah, yeah. than product. But you know, how much more crap do you need? And, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm a marketing guy. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I'm a capitalist and a marketing person, yeah. and I agree 100%. I live a, a minimal lifestyle. I have a, a way of living called having, H-A-L-V-I-N-G, where I try to yeah. Make, having decisions about what I buy, what I eat, you know, because it's great for my health, my, you know, financially and environmentally. And I like to get hope that people can get out of this need to constantly buy stuff. Uh, so that would be the other wish, but I, that's not something I can control, but I can maybe help explain. Yeah, you, can, you can preach it. Well, I preach, well, we, we, I do preach it in this having concept. I just wrote about it on our blog, uh, how to have it all. And that was a concept, by the way, which also came up when I was at Burt's Peace. Yeah. And I've been work, I've been living it ever since. But I can share that with people and hopefully they can learn from that. I don't mean to look out. This is a thing that works for me. Yeah. And I hope it can work for other people, too. You know, it's a tough conversation for marketing people to have because you then get accused of, A, being ashamed of selling, which I find ludicrous. I think I love advertising. I love marketing. I actually love it. I'm trying to do it in a specific way. But I don't, I'm not embarrassed to be an advertising guy. Or you kind of, you kind of get accused of being like uh, having rose-colored glasses and, and not understanding things. You know, I, I just reject the whole thing. Like, I, we need to sell differently and we need to sell better and we need to sell the right values as a company. Because when you go into your business every day, I don't care who you are, you know, you don't stop being a human being, to your point earlier. You know, you don't shut the door and go, I am now a robot of my category and I will now speak in my category argument. You're, you're a human being. You're still motivated by everything human beings are motivated by. You've got kids. You want your kids to have a better world. The whole conversation, it's silly that it's, that it's controversial to have these conversations in the marketing world. But, you know, like you try to have them and you get whacked, you know, and uh, I'm just going to keep having them. You know, I, and I, I love that. Good for that. you, man. I, I completely agree. And you, you can be passionate. Like when I talk about Humira and people feel right away, you know, my energy level just doubles and yeah. I believe in it so much. So talking about it and, you know, putting, I'm using a little quote symbols with my fingers, selling it 
isn't selling. It's because I really believe it because the stuff is fantastic. When you're selling stuff you don't believe in, you know you just put it out there because you got pressure from senior management to come out with a new product and you're convincing yourself that it's, you know, that might be different, but what you're coming out with is great and you're, what you're doing with your company is doing the right things uh, socially from a community standpoint, environmental standpoint, you always feel good about what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, and that's really an interesting, an interesting kind of twist on the, on the conversation. If you're selling stuff, which is great, but you're not in some ways giving back, that sucks. I mean, the fact that you've got companies like, you know, like Amazon, who, you know, who reportedly like pay no federal income tax. I don't know how true that is. I mean, that's horrible. Yeah. You have a guy who's making rocket ships to go up with his brother and you have people in factories who work at Amazon who have to pee into empty Gatorade bottles. That's messed up. Yeah. Where, where's the gratitude? Where's the sharing of some of this enormous wealth with the people who helped you create that wealth? You know, right. so, but if you're doing the things for the right reasons, if you're doing things for your community, doing things for the environment, then selling becomes fun because you really right. believe in what you're doing from a much greater standpoint. Man, I can't think of a better way to end this than that. That's very inspiring. And um, I agree 100%. And uh, I'm so glad you're in the world doing this. I thank you for allowing me to be on. And thank you for doing this because you're making me and you're making everyone who's listening better marketers, better business people. We all learn. And you know, this is a game about learning. You know, this, yeah. our, our lives is about learning, taking that learning and trying to do constructive things with it. And thank God for, for what you're doing because I'm learning from it. And it's making me a better person better marketer, better businessman, just better in general. All right. Thanks, brother. So good to have you on. You too. Thank you. This has been another episode of Brands in Action. Many thanks to our guests, Mike and Dursky. Today's show has been brought to you by Pony Source Brewing, the beer beer would drink if beer could drink beer. Pony Source Brewing, drink about it. If you're digging the show, please give us a review and a like. It really does make a difference. Production help by Nathan Nichols, editing by Sarah Voorhees-Wendell, executive production by Alexa Tesoriero, and music by Medium Heat. All other help from your friendly neighborhood Baldwin Ann.